Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that everything is energy. All life is energy. And that energy is interconnected and interdependent. In essence, that energy is just one thing. And we are all connected to that one source of of energy. And in truth, what you do to another person, you're literally doing to another aspect of yourself. Now, science is just now catching up uh, to teaching this truth of oneness when ancient wisdom and spirituality has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons. So when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is Harmonic Wealth with James Arthur Ray. James, welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. Thank you, Caroline. And I'm, I'm really excited to be here. It's an honor to be here. And I'm also excited that you mentioned um, physics. I, I've been a huge fan and student of quantum physics for probably at least two decades now. And, and so, you know, you're absolutely correct that the scientists, in fact, I believe the physicists of today's world are the mystics of the 21st century, and they're, they're finding, quote, what the ancients have known for a long, long time. So it's a really exciting time where science and spirituality are, are realizing their sister studies are no, no longer in opposition. Uh, so anyway, just, no, just so wanted to kind of play off your intro there a bit. Well, no, well, that's great because um, I, it, it, it was quantum physics that truly woke me up. I mean, I had been studying metaphysics off and on for 30 years, but it was actually quantum physics, What the Bleep, was the documentary I saw back in 2007 that really, like, that was like awakening for me. So it was actually quantum physics that really woke me up, but I understood the things I, I, that I couldn't grasp spiritually, metaphysically, quantum physics made it all understandable to me. So, well, well, let me let me just give you one of my favorite co- quotes. Max Planck, who is the father of quantum physics, stated, behind all that appears to be matter, there is a force. Yes. And this force is consciousness. Yes. Mind is the matrix of all matter. Now, that's mind-boggling when you think about the implications here, because this is not, this is not a spiritual guru. This is not a, a New Age teacher. None of that. This is quantum, the father of quantum physics who says mind is the matrix, a.k.a. foundation, of all matter. And, and so, so now, you know, it really comes to the bottom line that if we're going to change our results in any area, then we have to change our mind because mind is the matrix. And, and that's what science is telling us. And what's really excited about that is we can argue with shamanistic traditions, which I've been privileged to, to study. We can argue with esoteric traditions, which I've been privileged to study and, and all great spiritual traditions, which I've been exposed to gratefully but it's pretty hard to argue with hardcore science. And, and so anyway, it, it, again, it's a very exciting time to be alive. 
Exactly. And it's so, so true what you, you like you said, because for me, I did try, I studied, like I said, it was, it was quantum physics, like, wow, this is physical proof, you know, physical proof in your face proof that what spirituality and ancient wisdom has been trying to teach us for eons has been, is now being proven scientifically. And science is just now touching the tip of the iceberg. There's so yeah. much more. You know, it, it's very exciting. Very exciting. Extremely exciting. Yes. So, but we kind of dove in deep <laughs> real quick. Before we, we get too deep, let, let our listeners know a little bit about who you are. Now, I kind of got reacquainted with you just recently when I was watching the Oprah show on The Secret. And uh, you were a guest on one of the guests on that show. And I was very, very fascinated by the things you shared. So I don't know if many people know you co-authored the, the book, The Secret. So, That's correct. Yes. So please, before we dive in too deep, because we, we have plenty of time. It's my show. There's no time limit. <laughs> and I love that freedom of independence. Uh, but please share with our listeners who you are. Yeah. Well, that, uh, if you saw me in the Oprah show, I was a lot less gray back then because that was that was a long time ago, actually. You know, that was, I believe, 2007 ish, um, maybe oh. even eight. But mm -hmm. but nonetheless, um, a little let me let me keep this as brief as I can, because my journey has been quite the galloping adventure and and I'll do my best to hit the highlights. Starting in you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible belt, right down the street from Oral Roberts University in the household of a Protestant minister who was extremely dynamic and, and frankly overbearing. Um, I love my dad and he was, he was very dynamic and I, I was incredibly, um, skinny, scrawny, insecure, introverted. I was the guy that got bullied in school all the time. I had big buck teeth and I wore thick glasses. I now have contacts, but, but I wore thick glasses starting in the fifth or sixth grade. So I, I got picked on um, endlessly. And so I, I, as this introverted child in the household of a dynamic father, really just withdrew even further inside. And I found solace in my books. And so while most kids my age were out, you know, going to parties and, and playing sports and doing all those things, I was home sequestered in my bedroom, pouring through books, you know, at a very early age. And I figured that if I could find the keys to the universe, then I could maybe find out how to fit into the universe because I didn't feel like I fit in. And then maybe I could change my life. Mm -hmm. And, and so that began my quest and I was a voracious reader and I was kind of odd because, you know, in this, in this buckle belt of fundamental Christianity, which I have the utmost respect for, uh, that I was raised in down the street from Moore Roberts and in the household of a Protestant minister, I picked up, picked up, the Buddhist Bible when I was 18 years old because I wasn't getting the answers that I was asking in my Sunday school every Sunday, you know, just because or just have faith wasn't cutting it for me. And so I started to branch out and study. And this began a 
an incredible quest that led me through all great spiritual traditions, which I've been exposed to some more than others. Um, Buddhist tradition, of course, I studied with a Zen master for a number of years. Uh, I studied with a Kung Fu master from the Shaolin Temple in China right now. Um, and yet I don't consider myself a Buddhist at all. I've studied Hinduism. I've studied Christianity, Gnosticism. You know, every great, great tradition, Judaism, mostly on the mystical side, Kabbalah and those types of things. But I also was studying many other things as well, psychology, physiology, um, biology, business, because as I started to grow and develop, I got hired at at and and I was very successful in sales there. And I, on my second year anniversary, I got promoted to management. I went through various management positions and ended up at AT&T School of Business as a C-suite consultant uh, for executives and helping them in their leadership, their performance, their teams, you know, all of those types of things. And yet, even though I had, was, was building this tremendous business acu acumen, which I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to AT&T for that, I was there for 13 years. I, at night, I was studying, you know, spirituality and mysticism and all these things and attempting to, to figure out how they all fit together because I just knew deep down inside that, it, it, that there's got to be a congruence and a continuity and a connectivity between all these what appear to be various studies. And I thought, again, if I could figure it out, then I could change my life. What started to come clear for me little by little by little, and when I was at at t School of Business, then I, I started bringing a lot more um, of the more spiritual, if you will, and more personal performance things into the business place and I just learned how to package them in a way that they wouldn't be off-putting for business people mm -hmm. right because if you want to talk about you know and by the way I started my my meditative practice when I was 18 years old and I've meditated almost every single day since that time which has been a large amount of years <laughs> since I was 18 uh, with very few exceptions but if you talk about meditation even today in a corporate environment it's going to be off-putting for a lot of people but if you if you can present it differently as focus or or mindfulness and even now what I know is there's a lot of research at Harvard University, and, and I was just talking to a business owner yesterday who I'm doing some consulting with, and when you bring in those kind of statistics from Harvard, yeah. nonetheless, then people go, okay, well, maybe this is, maybe this is valid, yeah. right? And so that's kind of what I was doing. I left at and in uh, 2002 and started my own consulting business at the time, uh, just doing business and leadership and performance consulting and, and not even doing one-on-one -on -one coaching yet, just doing more business. Right. And then that, that went into me authoring my first book, which is entitled The Science of Success. And that's where I started to take, you know, along the way, I picked up quantum physics, as we mentioned earlier, and I fell in love. Right. And I can't tell you how many times, Selena, I, I was sitting, Caroline, I mean, I, I was sitting on on a plane reading a book like Wholeness and Implicate Order, 
by by David Bohm or the Tao of Physics by Fritov Kapra or or the Self Aware Universe by Amika Swami. And and I'd, I'd be reading this book, and the guy sitting next to me would say, "What are you reading?" And I'd say. I don't know. You know, it was so complicated, but I just knew, especially the math, and I just knew that there was something there, something there. And so I stuck with it, and finally it started to come clear for me. And and so I moved, you know, I wrote my first book, The Science of Success, which talks about um, at a very high level – the seven laws, the hermetic laws of the universe, which I was, I was really blessed to be exposed to hermetics, which many experts believe to be the, the founding um, focal point of all great spiritual traditions. And, and so I brought some of those into the science of success and applied them to a practical life and business format. And then my next book was called Practical Spirituality. I want to I, I want to interject here just yeah minute. please just because I had never heard of the seven hermetic laws until this morning. I had no idea you were going to speak on that. I just every morning when I'm cleaning, I put on YouTube and I have it on my television, and I just pick a video that will pop up recommended video. And uh, that video popped up today, exactly what you're talking about, the seven hermetic laws. I never heard that term before. And I heard it this morning. And I heard the laws. And I was like completely in alignment with all seven of those laws. But it's just so, that's how the, I had no idea you were going to talk about that. And this morning I heard it for the first time. So I just Meaningful coincidence, right? Synchronicity. Carl Jung called it synchronicity. Um, But the very first hermetic law is the law of mind. And that goes back to our opening comments about what Max Planck says is the matrix of all matter. And, And hermetics knew this long before, you know, this era. This was way before this current era. And, And so, you know, Hermes was said by many to be the teacher of Abraham who preceded Moses, if you know the Bible. Yes. And, and so he, he was called the God Tote in the Egyptian mythology. And I, I've been very blessed to, to um, study extensively in Egypt and have, have had some mind-blowing experiences meditating between the paws of the Sphinx as well as um, at one point, two different times, I had the entire Great Pyramid to myself for three hours. Um, so some really incredible experiences there. I've studied in the, in the, uh, Amazon jungle with the ayahuasquero and I've studied with, you know, in Peru and in with the Caro and the Quechuan. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Hermes was called tote in Egypt and, and, and he was the father of wisdom and of writing and, and, you know, that, that mythology has been handed down to many, many traditions, including the Greek. Right. So anyway, if you want a simplistic, easy to access overview of the seven hermetic laws, then my first book, The Science of Success, really was about that. And one of the gifts that I've been given by the creative force, God, universal intelligence, and I do mean that in a literal sense is a gift, is I've been able to take what is often very complex 
and bring it down into a simplified, easy to access and actionable format so that we can all understand it and do something with it. I mean, I speaking, I won't get too off on a tangent, but you know, this book is sitting right here on my desk, the Corpus for medicine for medicine. And the, reading that is like a brain cramp. All right. So <laughs> because when you read these esoteric wisdoms, they're most written in metaphor and analogy and and you have to really study and study and study and study and study to figure out exactly what they're attempting to convey. Right. Um, so from there, I was part of, as you already mentioned, a, a little book called The Secret. And and frankly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a big little book that I'm grateful for. And frankly, you know, um, Caroline, I I before that time that the secret came out in 2006, I was, I was scrambling, you know, I was on many times on vision sandwiches and faith cookies, um, <laughs> playing credit card roulette, you know, attempting to keep things afloat because I really believe one of the blessings and a curse that I've had is that I've always been a little bit ahead of my time. And, and so the things I was talking about weren't resonating with a large amount of people. Well, when the secret hit, um, I'd been talking about the law of attraction, which, by the way, is a subset of one of the seven hermetic laws. The law of attraction is not really a law. The actual law, and this is a scientific law as well, is the law of vibration, which says everything has a frequency or a vibration. And the law of attraction is a subset of that law. But Nonetheless, it went gangbusters, as you know, and I went from vision sandwiches and faith cookies to being on Oprah twice and, and Larry King twice and the Today Show once a month, and, and things just really, really went gangbusters for me. At that time, I was on the road over 200 days a year, and, and I was really blessed to, you know, my company and my team and I hit the Inc. 500 in 2009 as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in the nation, if not the world. I had my next book out was Harmonic Wealth, which you mentioned, and that became a New York Times bestseller at the top of the list in the first five days of its release. And and things were just going amazingly well, far beyond I could have ever imagined from this, you know, this skinny, scrawny, bullied, insecure kid in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. Well, here, you know, again, I don't know how many of your viewers know my whole story, but I told you it's 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 been an adventure. And there's a uh, documentary about my life actually on Netflix called Enlighten Us. And if if anyone has ever watched seen Enlighten Us, then you know not only did I rise to the pinnacle, but I also fell into the pit. Mm -hmm. uh, my my team and I were holding a five-day experience in Sedona in 2009, and it was a deep dive into the psychology of all the attendees, because here's what I can promise your listeners, is that both life and business are about 95% psychology and about 5% strategy. Now, most people get it wrong, you know, if you look at what's going on on social media and elsewhere, everybody's like, give me the latest marketing tip, give me the new sales technique, give me the download, you know, 
give me, you know, teach me how to become an internet sensation, you know, and, and the problem with that is, is that your psychology is always going to drive your strategy. I, I learned all the way back at at t School of Business, I can give you the latest and greatest techniques, skills, and tools. doesn't mean you're going to use them, right? And, and so most people, let's say I was training sales skills, I'd, I'd pour my heart out for five days, and most people would leave the room and do the same damn thing they did before they ever came in the room. Right. Uh, because and I started to realize that it's not about the skills. I mean, you like me uh, know, Caroline, someone who's highly skilled, but they're not utilizing those skills. I'm sure that you do, right? right? And so what is it? Well, it's the internal game. It's that psychology that always drives a strategy. And so um, what happened for me was that I was still teaching these things, and I rose to the pinnacle. And we had this five-day event where we were going back and helping people reaccess trauma mm -hmm. and unresolved emotional issues. Now, psychology tells us, that the most important years of our life are between birth and 13. Okay. That's where we're conditioned and programmed. Now, I don't know where you were as a viewer today between birth and 13, but I know for me, I was this insecure, introverted kid in, a, in an overbearing father household. And so those things get imprinted upon you. And now what Dr. Morris Massey's research proves is that after about the age of 13, very few of us ever change. Our, our core level values, beliefs, assumptions lock in. And so what that means is that we're walking around every single day interacting with people who appear in a 60, 50, 40, 30-year-old body, but they're 13 years old inside. Mm -hmm. Now, Furthermore, psychology tells us about 95% of what you do every single day is driven by your unconscious. Yes. Not your conscious mind, but yes. your unconscious mind. Unconscious. Well, here's the rub. You can't deal with something you're unconscious of, <laughs> right? It's, it's out of your awareness. If, yes. it, if it was in your awareness, you could deal with it. So this five-day event was about helping to bring some of those unresolved issues, those traumas forward so that we could observe them, heal them, integrate them, and literally set ourselves free. And so it was a very emotionally intense week. And at the end of that five days, we had a, a little experiential event called a sweat lodge. And maybe your viewers have heard about this, but um, something went horribly wrong in 2009. And three of my dear friends that I had invested five days learning probably more about them at a deep emotional level than some of their, their closest loved ones knew about them. Um, something went wrong in that lodge and three people died. And it, it was, it was, it was horrible. And if you've ever lost anybody that you, you care about, you know, that it, it's, it's like you, you can't, it's hard. You can't even bear it. Well, you know, for me, here, here it was, me doing my best to help empower and help, <clears throat> excuse me, grow and help people move forward. It was the absolute antithesis. Right. I understand. Mm -hmm. Of anything I had ever lived my life for. 
it was heartbreaking. And, and yet um, the state of Arizona came after me and charged me with manslaughter, which means manslaughter is defined as intentional harm. Right. Well, okay, let's think this through. I don't believe there's a businessman or a businesswoman on the planet who would intentionally harm his or her clients and think they're going to stay in business. Right. right. I mean, that, that was just ludicrous, but, but here's what was happening. If you look at 2009, the, the housing market crashed, the stock market crashed. Everyone was in a crisis. Everyone was scrambling. And I, you know, I was the big dog from Beverly Hills. By this time, I, I had a house in Beverly Hills on Mulholland Drive, and, and I was all over the media, and I was very well known. And so, you know, the DA of Arizona decided to take down King Kong. And they came after me with guns blazing and charged me with manslaughter. I, you know, losing through three clients and friends that I cared about would have been enough, but it didn't end there. Then I got charged and, and I went from literally on the peak of the mountain to the pit. And within, within just a matter of months, I lost everything. I lost my home. I lost my business. You know, the media went nuts in attempting to turn it into a big, you know, sensationalized event. Um, which is what the media does. And I, I lost my life savings and I eventually, you know, I went to trial and they, the, the, the jury said, well, this is crazy. And they said, no, it's not manslaughter. They could find no intentional harm whatsoever. Um, but I still got charged with negligence, which says that there were things that happened. I should have noticed and I didn't notice. Okay. I accept that. I, God, I wish I would have noticed them. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have any idea that things were, were going like they were going. And if I would have, I would have stopped immediately. Okay. Um, but part of leadership is accepting absolute responsibility. You know, I had a team there who was, who was paid well and trained well to take care of contingencies and emergencies. And I had, you know, I had a doctor that was there, an MD doctor that was there, and a registered nurse that was there, and I had people trained in CPR. But that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, when you're the leader, mm-hmm. you take you shoulder the responsibility. You don't throw your team under the bus. You, you don't, you don't make excuses. It was my event. It was, it was my choice to do a, a dangerous activity. And so I am responsible. And I ended up, you know, as I said, losing everything external and I went to prison for two years. So I, I went from this New York times bestselling, you know, Oprah media, sensation in Beverly Hills that people came from all around the world. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been able to coach and and work with over a million people from 145 countries around the world to this guy sitting in a cell. And so that's about as far as you can fall. And, and I lost everything. So I spent two years um, in deep reflection in in prison and i 
initially really, really wrestled with my own demons of blame and, and this is not fair and why me God and all of those things because I'm human. And I finally got my head on and, you know, without going into all the details, this is all, by the way, coming out of my new book. Uh, it's slated to come out February 11th of next year. It's called The Business of Redemption. And the subtitle is The Price of Leadership. Um, but I I came out in 2013, and I was a broken man. I mean, I was, I was in very ill physical health. I was 55 years of age. I was... I was $20 million in debt, and I was homeless, okay, literally homeless, and, and you know, broke. If any of your listeners are facing challenges today, I get it. I really do, you know, but broke looks good from where I sat. You know, I mean, I mean, broke, it was, was several notches up from 20 million in debt and no, that's true. Right. <laughs> I mean, 20 million in debt. yeah. Hey, broke looks good. I'd love to be broke. Yeah. And, and, so, <laughs> and so nobody wants to be there at any point in their life, much less, you know, at, at 55 and my reputation, all my friends disappeared. All my colleagues, so-called friends and colleagues, were like ghosts. And the only – I mentioned my Zen master. He's the highest-ranking Zen master outside of Japan. He's a Roshi. Mm-hmm. And he stood with me during that tsunami. And he – and I – it was tough. I, I, I was shattered. And he yeah. said to me at one point, he said, James, all of us want to think – and hope and pray that our friends will be there for us when things go sideways. They won't. <laughs> and I, I, I want to just share because so much, like, honestly, I'm learning this now. Um, cause like I said, I, it was a few weeks ago, something to, I was, like I said, I'm a YouTube nut. I was going and and some reason I went back to, um, I heard that the highest, rank show that Oprah has ever done was that secret show. And for some reason, I, I don't, not, and that was the first time I ever saw that secret show. It was a few months ago. And you really stood out. I mean, I've had um, Michael, uh, Reverend Michael Beckwood yes. as my guest. Um, many, I, I worked with Reverend Michael. He, I've been, he invited me to LA. I've met him. I worked with him. I was unfamiliar with you until a few months ago. And when I listened to you, I was just so impressed. But everything you just said, you don't know how much, resonates with me from, from okay, being in an overbearing household with a father. I was brought up, I was born in 62, which I shared with you earlier. I was sent to Catholic school. My parents, we weren't Catholic, but for a better education, I was sent to Catholic school. The, the Catholic, Catholicism, the dogma, did not resonate with me from from very young, but my parent, my father was. Children are to be seen and not heard. Yeah. All the questions I had, just I had to hold them in. So, but everything you say resonates so much with me because what you went through, and it's going to sound crazy, even maybe to you, but was exactly what you needed to go through at the time. It doesn't sound crazy at all. 
okay, long long as you understand and not and don't want to shoot me. But I, it, it's like it, it was, and everything happened. You were saying, um, my son, transition. Uh, there is no such thing as death. And those three clients, those three friends, dear friends of yours, there's no such thing as death. There's no such thing as someone leaving too soon or too late. Everything happens in perfect divine timing. So in truth, I know, of course, as the leader of that experience, you're going to blank, you're going to shoulder the responsibility, but it was their time. And, uh, and it, just like my son at 29 years old, it was his time. And I know that it was a soul agreement he and I had made. And I, I launched this show six months after his transition four years ago. But I, I resonate with what you're saying on, on, on a, a, a level that is above the human consciousness. Because well, I, I, I really appreciate that because, because there's very few circles in which you can have that kind of a conversation. Yeah. But what I would tell you is that Liz Newman was one of the individuals who, who transitioned. And I had known Liz for years and years and years. Wonderful, wonderful woman. And right before the sweat lodge, she, she was actually there. I had volunteers that I called dream team members who had been former attendees and they would come back to support the new attendees. Mm -hmm. And she was dream teaming the event and she pulled me aside the day before the sweat lodge experience. And she said to me, James, you know, I'm just being really inspired that I want to take a greater leadership role in this work. And I said, well, Liz, I, I would love to see you do that. Well, little did we know yeah. that within just 24 hours, she would be taking a great leadership role in the work, but not in a way that any of us would have imagined. Exactly. And, and one of the things I say in my new book, Redemption, is that for anything that I ever contributed or taught or helped um, James, Liz, and Kirby with, they have been one of my greatest teachers yes. um, and have transformed my life yes. because – you know, here's what I know mm -hmm. is that, and, and this is, um, you know, I was talking again to Roshi at mm -hmm. one point and I was just, you know, on top, I, I left out a lot of the details, but there's, there's a lot more, but like my mom got stage four cancer right during the middle of my trial and mm -hmm. I was her caretaker and, yeah. and it just kept coming and kept coming. Yeah. And I said to him at one point, I said, Roshi, I said, I just can't take it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have so much compassion and understanding for people now who who take their life. I think it's horrible. I, I would highly encourage not to do that. Mm -hmm. But I understand how someone could come to that point. I never got close to that but I did have times where I was just saying you know I happen to believe in reincarnation and I just thought God just recycle me and take me because I can't take this well, I don't like the term recycle because it's not recycle we're actually it's only now we're living all of our lives here in the now but I have my listeners know um, I actually in truth and it sounds crazy my son I went through my son's transition twice he didn't actually transition the first time but the first time I tried to take my life. When doctors mm. told me my son wasn't going to live, 
And this was in 2011. And my son didn't transition to 2014. But in 2011, when doctors told me they didn't think he was on life support, they wanted to take him off, and I refused to have them take him off, I knew what I was going to do. I was, I, I was done. I'm like, time. I know, I believe there's eternal life. It's time for me to go on to the next life. I, right. It's time for me to get out of here. I can't do this. So yeah. I had to take my life. Um, and I, I experienced the miracle. I'm still here, and my son took himself off life support, and it was a true medical miracle. He pulled himself off life support. His vital signs were perfect, and doctors were stunned in amazement. And that December of 2011, I went home with my son. So, And from that miracle is what changed my life. Because I knew that, that from that miracle, I promised God. I said, I will never, ever, ever stop thanking you. So when two and a half years later, when he actually did transition, I was still thanking God. Because I witnessed, I, I, it's so hard to explain. But when you know, I knew by that time, I grew spiritually. I knew this was a soul agreement. I knew he wasn't going. I knew he was just leaving his body that was not working anymore. And he's still very much with me. He's the co-host. He's told me he's the co-host of this show. He's with us right now. But everything I know, I know, I know, I know. Not think and believe. I know everything happens. Big and difference people, between knowing and, and, and believing. Exactly. Right? I know yeah. that everything happens in perfect divine timing. Everything. So it's like... I am just, my heart is so full because I, I had no idea other than I saw you on Oprah. I was like, I want to know Oprah. I want more. <laughs> so, I mean, not, not just because you were on Oprah, the things you, you shared on, on that during that show. I was like, I got to have this guy. I love this guy. And I still, I mean, it's just, I, it's what you're sharing is so important for our listeners to understand no matter what they're going through. What you went through, what, when, I, when, when my son, both times, my son was on life support. I was in that hospital room, in that ICU room, alone. And you were saying that when you were up at the top, you had lots of friends, right? Oh, yeah. Well, but when you hit rock bottom, where were your friends? You know, you had one person. I right. Mean, I hit rock bottom twice, and there was nobody around. I had nobody. But it was okay because I, I know that's how it was. I, I divinely created that experience. We all create our life experience, and it's all perfect. And it's so hard to understand from a human perspective. But when we look from our soul perspective, it's all in perfect divine order. I I know that's true, and I completely and totally agree. And and here's the other thing that's not popular, but I know it's true nonetheless. When I was was bemoaning to Roshi at the time, and I said, I just can't take it anymore. I, I said, Gimpo, I just can't take it anymore. And he very wisely said to me, James, yes, you can. He said, ask for more. Now, I got to tell you, when he said that, I thought, you 
are the most in- discompassionate, unloving, you know, <laughs> I, I can't believe you're saying these words to me. Yeah. But then he continued and he said, you know, in, in the Buddhist tradition, there's, there's a concept called the bodhisattva. And the bodhisattva is the person who reaches a state of, of awareness and awakening and then make his, makes a decision. It's a beautiful concept because the bodhisattva makes a decision to give his or her entire life to ending the suffering of mankind. And in that commitment, the bodhisattva knows that they're not going to succeed. <laughs> that they're not going to succeed. And yet they make the commitment anyway. Yeah. And so he said to me, if you ever have a hope or a prayer of becoming a bodhisattva, James, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. He said, because how can you help a suffering world when you haven't suffered greatly? Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't really want to hear that then, but in retrospect, I know he's absolutely correct because if you study history, a quick perusal of history, you know, look at a Mahatma Gandhi, look at a Jesus the Christ, look at look at uh, uh, Gautama Buddha, look at, um, you know, I mean, we could name Martin Luther King, um, you know, Nelson Mandela, uh, Mother Teresa. The greatest souls have always experienced the greatest suffering because, because suffering pulls away. Suffering pulls away the the nonsense and the BS, and it gets you to the heart, and it helps you remember, remember, reunite with what's really truly important. And I'm, I'm going to interject again. I want to show. I want to share one that is because all the names you just those are the people I admire, and and but there's one that's very um, not that well known. Peace Pilgrim. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Peace Pilgrim. Uh, yes. Yes. So, so he, like, um, Mother Teresa, uh, Gandhi, Peace Pilgrim, those are the, and I, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I do a lot of work now with helping parents heal. And I would not be able to do that work with helping parents heal if I didn't have a son in spirit. So, yes, I, 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 I understand exactly what you're saying. Well, here's, here's what I now know, because I... I'm a much uh, humbler, I'm a much more human, I'm hopefully wiser human being than I ever was prior to, and so I am grateful for that. I don't want to do it again, you know, <laughs> but, but, I, but I'm grateful for it, and and what I realized in retrospect is that, you know, what while my heart was always good. There were so many people in my audiences, and, and I mean, I, like I said, I was on the road over 200 days a year, and I had audiences of, of 1,500, 2,000. My, my largest audience was 17,000 people in Toronto, Canada, and, and people would stand up in my events, and they would say, you know, James, there, you know, I've got this and this pain in my life, and, and you know, with all great intention, I would say to them, you know, basically, metaphorically, hey, 
come on up here. You know, I'm on the top of the mountain. The view is beautiful. The air is pristine. The sun is warm. And they'd be all the way down in the valley, and they'd be like, I can't, James. I can't make the climb. Oh, yes, you can. Come on. Just come on. And I, and I, I had the greatest intent, but what I now know is that your arm is not long enough to reach from the mountaintop to the valley to help the the mass of, of, of mankind. You have to come down into the valley. And basic physics tells us that you can leverage much more from beneath than you can from above, than you can pull from above. And so if you follow the metaphor, I think what we really need in today's world is we don't need any more gurus, you know, we need guides. And there's a difference, you know, a guru is on the mountaintop and meditating in his or her cave and oh, life is so peaceful and grand. But the guide is down in the muck and the mire and he or she is climbing with you and they're stumbling over the same rocks with you and they're out of breath with you and they're getting scarred with you and they're supporting you along the journey. And that is what I think we really believe need in today's world. And life through pain and suffering brought me off the mountain mm -hmm. and, and put me in the valley. And so now it's a whole, whole different perspective and a whole new approach to, to the things that I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. now, I, 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 I agree. And disagree in, in, in a sense. Okay. And I'll say, and I'm just going to, for me, like I say, when I all introduced my show, what did I say? I, 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 my listeners know, I don't call myself a guru. I don't even call myself a teacher. All I do is share my heart, what I, my experience and share what I know for me to be true. Now, when you had mentioned earlier, you've studied Buddhism, Hinduism, and but I've I've studied all those things. I don't claim to be one or I don't claim a religion because of my belief in oneness. So oneness is 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 all that is. Meaning, it doesn't matter what you your beliefs are. You're a part of the oneness. But I say, for me, what I want to do is inspire, and all I can do is inspire another to go within tap into what's true for them and when for me what will transform humanity is our awakening to who we truly are which who we truly are are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience of our own creation that's the key when we own it when we own mm -hmm. everything that's happening to there's no don't blame your parents don't blame society. Don't blame religion. Don't. There's nobody to blame. What we're living, what we're going through, we are creating a hundred percent of it. There's no blame out. It's just the outer world is just a reflection of our inner world and our experiences. We plan those experiences from a spiritual level. So for me. Humanity is waking up one soul at a time to who we truly are. And when we wake up to who we truly are, that's when we'll, we'll all see the valley from the mountaintop instead of being down in the valley. You can't, when you're down in the valley, it's hard to see. But when you're up on the mountaintop, you, can, you get a wider perspective of what's going on. 
So my, my mission is to inspire as many as I can to remember, to wake up to who we truly are. Because we are not these, these, the physical body is just the vehicle we're using. It's like your car. How many cars have you had in your lifetime? I mean, it's just the, a, 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 a vehicle we're using to get around in this dimension. But every life we, is dimensional, and even the physical is spiritual. Because anything you put under a, a high-powered microscope, all you see is these tiny moving particles. It's not even solid. We learned that in seventh grade. I did. That we're not living in a solid world. Science again. Going back to science. We're living in a spiritual world that we call physical. But it's very dense. And it feels very solid. But our, 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 our human senses are extremely limited. And we can't go by just what we see can hear and taste and smell. We can't go by those limited human senses because that's only showing us 0.0009% of what is actually out there. Again, it all goes back to science. All of that, everything that I speak of, of can be proven scientifically and science is just now touching the tip of the iceberg. So um, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, I don't 100% agree that we have to actually, I don't believe we have to suffer. I think suffering is a choice. I know that even you were, you were in prison for two years. In that you could have been in bliss in those two years if you had chosen, because it's a choice. It's, it's all internal. So you could have been in a state of bliss while you're in prison. I, I've written, I've read and heard of books that people have written in prison where they are in a state of bliss, you know, because it's all in your mind, it's all inside. It's not the exterior comes from our interior. So to me, suffering is a choice. I mean, I could, my son has been now in spirit for four years. I could have chosen to just wallow in suffering for four years because my son's not here. But I, I chose to to know that he's he is still here. He's just not in the physical anymore. And continue each now moment to focus on the blessing because I do believe in every life, every person on this planet is here <clears throat> for a reason. And they've chosen to be here during this time. And they, in every now moment, they can focus on something that we quote unquote feel that we need, that we don't have. Because in every now moment, we have exactly what we need. We, we're never lacked. We're, we're completely in abundance. We're completely at peace. It's all internal. We can tap into that abundance and that internal peace. Every, every moment is a blessing. And we can look at that. We can look at life as every moment as a blessing. Or we can look at life as every moment as hell. It's up to us. It's a choice. So I'm, I'm just, you're quiet. <laughs> I haven't had any room to speak. Um, so, so it sounds like uh, you got it all summed up there. Um, well, any I, other questions you have for me? No, no. What I, what I share, though, it's not that I have a, What I share is just what resonates is true for me. So does any of that resonate with you? 
Yeah, a lot of it does. And, and I don't even know how to comment because there's, you know, it's been going on for about uh, 20 minutes now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, a lot of it does. Okay. So I just, because I just like with this show, like I said, I tell people, I just share what's in my, in my heart. And I don't, I don't preach. I don't say to people, I just want people to discover for themselves who they are. The true, of who, true, true um, essence of who we are. So I was just, it's just different perspectives, I think. I don't think it is different perspectives. I think maybe that's your interpretation of, of the perspective. Um, because I don't think there's a different perspective there at all. I never said that you had to suffer, but what I will say is you will suffer. Oh, we don't have to suffer, but you will suffer because you're a human being. And anyone who says that they are transcendent enough to not ever suffer is not being honest. Yeah, suffering I is a choice. And the times that we suffer, you know, pain is not a signal to suffer. Pain is a signal to grow. And, and yet we suffer because we resist the pain. Suffering is the outcome of resisting what is instead of accepting what is. And, and so, you know. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, we got it. Let's see. James, can you hear me? Okay, I think your connection. I'm going to wait a few minutes to see if your connection comes back. James, can you hear me? Okay, what you just said, you said perfectly. Actually, so beautifully about about are you there can you hear me james james can you hear me i can now yeah okay. you went we were yeah. frozen there for a we minute we were frozen for a second and and what i was saying um what you said you said it so beautifully what you just said resisting what is those that that is so perfect because that is so true um the isness of where we're at, and that's kind of what I was trying to say, but you you said it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I don't know if I said it better. I think I think some some people deliver that resonates with one, and some people deliver in a way that resonates with another, and it's all you know, it's all either partial. It's all partial truth. There's no, there, none of us know the absolute truth. I'm, I'm convinced of that because how can we know infinity? We can't. I mean, if you, if you study Kabbalistic tradition and hermetics, which I have extensively, um, they're very wise in saying that you cannot know God. You can only know about God because anything that you say God is or isn't automatically disqualifies God from infinite. Right. Because the only way we can communicate is through finite terms. And so, so we, we, and, and that's the beauty of this life adventure is that we are never going to know. We're going to know about more and more and more and be able to experience hopefully more and more and more. But to say that I've come to a point of absolute knowing and clarity is the greatest of ignorance because, because I, I don't, believe that's possible and if you go back to physics we physicists can't even describe 
uh, and they say there's probabilities. They they mm-hmm. don't say there's absolutes. And and so anyway, um, mm-hmm. I have another interview on the back end of this one, and, and we're at about an hour here. I it goes okay. quickly, okay. but I oh, I really you know appreciate the time here today. I a couple of things I want you to share with the listeners how they can follow your work and find you. Um, so share your website, please. Yeah, it's uh, really easy. It's just, thank you. It's www.jamesray.com. And if you go there, I have a free gift for you. I have a, an ebook uh, you can download called How to Conquer Versus Quit. Okay. And, and then you can also learn about all of our online programs and resources, which there's a whole host of them. Uh, you can learn about our live events, which, which we're doing this year. You can learn about the coaching options. And we have a whole variety of coaching options from from online monthly Q&As to group coaching to one-on-one and a whole lot more. So if you'll just visit jamesray.com, you've got that free gift there. And I'd love and be honored to serve you in any way that I can. Also, um, you had mentioned the name of a Net- Netflix documentary. What was the name of that documentary? It's, it's called Enlighten Us. And supposedly it's one of the top ranked uh, documentaries on Netflix right now. Um, but it's, it's the whole story of my rise and my fall. And I've seen it several times. It's quite painful for me to watch, but, but it's also cathartic. You know, it helps me, helps me heal and, and cleanse some of those things through. But yeah, um, yeah, it's on Netflix and you can find it fairly easily, I believe. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you again so much for being my guest. I, I truly, like I said, my heart just, I, I resonate with so much that you shared. Um, it's just, you know, life, this life that we are going through is, is uh, each moment is going to be a difficult challenge, but it's how we respond. Yes. Like, how, do we, are we going to just stay down? Or are we going to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and keep on moving. And, and I think that's the, the question in every moment. You know, do we just stay, stay down or do we get up again? So. Thank, thank you so much for having me. It's been a, an honor and a privilege. And, and thank thanks you. for sharing your story with me as well. I, I, I know from my experience that you've got to be a, a, a deeper, more caring human being because, you know, the last thing I will say is that sorrow – and sadness dig the cup deeper so that it can hold more joy and and he or she who has not experienced the depths of sorrow are are not going to be able because of the law of polarity to experience the the ultimate peaks of joy so it's all part of that that divine and eternal dance that we're 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 involved in right now yeah, it kind of reminds me of this, like that rubber band effect. Meaning, I've heard like the the deeper and deeper you go into sorrow, the the higher that, like you know, the like you said, polarity. Right. So you're going deeper, deeper. So you're going to get springboarded into the light, you know, because you you went so deep into the dark, you're going to get springboarded into the light. So, right. Yes. So that's just I I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, I appreciate you so much. And I love you so much. And thank you so much for sharing your story because it is like, it just so touches my heart. And I know it will touch so many listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a a pleasure. Keep doing great work. Thank you. You you as well. Okay.
Namaste. Namaste. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.